So today we're going to jump into something you and I have had numerous conversations about and is always a hot button issue. And that is the idea and the ever evolving conversation around re-regulation. I mean, there was a time when I think lawyers uh, had some trepidation, some fear about changing regulations. But I think this whole COVID bringing in new technology, people seeing new options to get to their, uh, their, their clients, uh, the markets are changing, uh, that the whole structure in the tech world is, is, is giving new tools. And I think people are really seeing some of these uh, changes of regulation as being tools, that simple, just tools to get more business, tools to expand their firms, tools to communicate better with clients, to find new markets, to create new workflows. One thing that I think is really interesting is I'm having conversations with lawyers who are a lot more interested in re-regulation than I think was the case two, three years ago. You know, people are talking about sandboxes in a way we haven't. And even though some of the recent developments in sandboxes, uh, including Florida and California, have moved away from them, there seems to be a growing interest about this. Yeah, no, absolutely agree. And and instead, there's people saying, how do we get into that sandbox? I have some ideas. Uh, I have a company I want to partner with. Um, I have an investor uh, who want to give me money, you know, some venture capital money to start this new uh, legal idea I have. And it's us. It's us lawyers who are saying these things, not somebody outside the industry. But how do we grow this industry? How do we take advantage of these tools? And uh, how do we really thrive in this new environment that's been opened up to us? It's reminding me of an article that Jane Reardon wrote last year. And in this article, Jane said, as multiple state Supreme Courts are studying or implementing regulatory reform, there's reason for optimism. And she goes on to say that the profession may actually be open to reconceiving attorney regulation in the public interest. And I think this is a really interesting time to be having this conversation. And so we're going to have Jane Reardon on the show today, along with Zach DiMiola. These are two experts on issues of regulatory change. And as we think about our own lives and many of the pandemic adaptations have sort of become permanent fixtures as parts of our lives, I think it makes sense that lawyers are considering or exploring concepts of different regulatory framework right now. I think that's right. And the fun thing I'm talking to Zach and Jane, and one of the reasons I was so looking forward to this interview with them, is they're such experts on what our future can look like and the opportunities for solo and small practitioners, the size of this market that is just waiting for lawyers to come in and, and enter it. And I think that, that those people who listen to this podcast are going to walk away with a bunch of takeaways uh, of, oh, here's what I need to do. Here's what I can do. Here's the things that are going to make my solo and small firm so much better and bigger and stronger and faster and efficient. Let's not stand on ceremony. Let's get to this great conversation. Welcome to the ABA Center for Innovation's Innovation Network Podcast, a podcast dedicated to finding and highlighting the opportunities of the future of law and bringing them into your legal practice today. We will explore new partnerships, unforeseen successes, and reveal the blueprints that are already being used to develop the future of legal. Along this journey, our guests will challenge you to let go of the status quo and dare to imagine a legal economy where creativity and collaboration are the fuel and your new ability to serve every person with a legal need is your financial reward. And now, here are your hosts for the Innovation Network podcast, Joey Gartner and Patrick Pallas. Attorney regulation is always a sensitive topic. 
Sometimes it's viewed as simply discipline and licensure or entry into the profession. But at its core, it's really about how attorneys can best serve clients. And joining us today are two experts in the environment around the future of re-regulation and what that future may hold. Joining us today are Jane Reardon and Zach DiMiola. Jane Reardon serves as the executive director of the Illinois Supreme Court Center on Professionalism, and Zach DiMiola is the director of strategic initiatives at LSAC, and prior to that, worked at the Institute for the Advancement of the American Legal System, more commonly known as IELTS. Zach DiMiola does serve on the Center for Innovation's Governing Council. Well, Jane and Zach, welcome. Pleasure to have both of you on the show uh, to join us today. Let me start here. Um, there are business tools that lawyers may use today to expand and scale their firms, you know, grow their market, uh, streamline the workflows, productivity, increase the revenue, uh, help more people. But there are so many more tools that lawyers could use if only they had access. And so what I want to talk to you about is these tools that we may get with, with legal regulation or re-regulation. And let me start here with, with you, Jane. There is this enormous market out there. I mean, the statistics, I think, are rather dramatic. 86% of low-income Americans received inadequate or no assistance. 76% of civil matters have only one self-represented litigant uh, and don't have lawyers on both sides. And that only 16% of uh, consumers will use a lawyer in a uh, civil justice situation, right? I mean, so there's this enormous market out there that, that we're missing. And I'm wondering, what do those statistics say to you about how big this market is and how untapped it is for lawyers? There is an incredible opportunity here for lawyers to serve people and people to get service. Really, if you look at some of the regulations that are standing in the way of, of lawyers connecting with clients and consumers, they're economic rules. And the research shows that, for example, advertising. Lawyers are trying to get clients by carrying around a ball and chain around their legs mm -hmm. due to the rules of, uh, that say you can't pay for a referral. What the research shows is lawyers are spending, especially solo and small firm practitioners, up to 33% of their time trying to get clients and they're hamstrung by not being able to make their services known to potential clients. They could use the service. If you look at the opportunities of lawyers being able to connect with clients, it's huge um, by just tweaking some of the rules of professional conduct, which are truly not ethical rules at all, but rules that are regulating the business of, of law that says lawyers can't share fees with non-lawyers, for example. Um, if we got rid of that and lawyers could join together with technologists, marketers, people who understand project management, how much more effective they could be and how they could scale their services across what we're seeing in state after state of legal deserts, where there are, in Illinois, for example, there are more than half of the counties that don't have lawyers being admitted more than a, a handful a, a, a year. So there's people who have to travel or just go without. So there's a huge, huge opportunity here 
for lawyers to connect with would-be clients. So Zach, let me ask you to juxtapose for a minute uh, the portion of the market that is being serviced by lawyers compared to the size and perhaps dollar value of the market that isn't being serviced by lawyers. People are going to lawyers for only 16% of the legal problems that they have. IELTS just recently did a, a, a justice needs survey and they discovered that only 12% of the respondents, 10,000 people that were surveyed, are looking to lawyers for help, period. Meaning when they need advice, when they need information even, they're not going to lawyers. They're going to other people that they know, community leaders, neighbors, family, friends, right? This suggests actually that the market being served right now is minuscule to the amount of legal problems that exist out there. My colleague, Natalie Knowlton at Isles used to say it's sort of an ice cream sandwich that the thinnest parts of the sandwich would be the, the top and the bottom, meaning people who are actually using lawyers for their legal problems. And a lot of large corporations or, or wealthy people are putting a lot of money into legal services. At the bottom, you have people who need financial subsidy for legal assistance. Those are people who qualify for legal assistance. It's a very small percentage the massive amount in the middle is where most of the legal problems in our society exist today. And those are the problems that are not getting assistance. They're not getting assistance from lawyers. So there, there are a couple of things that I think that, that re-regulation contemplates in terms of serving that major mi massive middle, middle section, right? The first is how do we, to, to Jane's point, how can we enable lawyers to reach into that section uh, where, where help is, is needed the most, right? That's a really important thing. And it's just, there are far more problems, far more people in need of assistance than there are lawyers. And the second is, how can we create more innovative ideas uh, on, on addressing the structure as a whole? Meaning how can lawyers partner with other types of professionals to meet people where they are? Another thing we know from, from, from our studies and from the studies of Rebecca Sandifer, the, the, the sociologist and MacArthur genius, is that a lot of people who have legal problems don't even know that their problems are legal in nature, meaning they don't know that they can resolve them through the, the, the justice system. And so they're resolving them in other ways, right? So we need to, we need to figure out a way to, to bring people back to an awareness, to educate them, to get lawyers in front of them. And, and in order to do that, we got to figure out where the people are and we need to meet them where they are. An example of that is most people in America are used to pulling out their, their smartphone, clicking on an app, and by doing so, they can, look at, they can look at schedules at a movie theater, they can order pizza, um, they can look at reviews for plumbers, right? Um, there is nothing quite like that for legal services. Most people in America are also used to uh, being able to get tiered, different tiered of, tiers of services, and in the legal industry has been left behind in a lot of regards uh, for both of those examples. So, so the, the current rules that we have in place aren't really designed with the perspective of the people who need services in mind. Re-regulation contemplates redesigning things to take that into perspective too. So Jane, Zach hits that nail on the head. And I, I know that you guys are in agreement about this. Uh, in an article that you recently wrote, you said, and I quote, the public will continue to forego the legal system entirely and many lawyers will struggle to make ends meet. And Zach was just mentioning some of the reasons why consumers are perhaps avoiding lawyers in the market. You know, looking at it from a different lens, how do we bring consumers into this legal market that exists? And what's the benefit of that? Well, and I think there's an obvious benefit for their consumers themselves. If they receive some education and some empowerment 
to understand that there are laws and there are legal processes that can help them. Uh, we have an incredibly complex legal society now, le laws, regulations, etc. And yet we have the vast majority of individuals unable to understand and access their own rights. So I think that there's a great opportunity here and consumers would benefit and lawyers would benefit. Part of it starts with education, but from my experience promoting professionalism for the last 16 years in Illinois and across the country, lawyers are afraid of reaching out for fear they're gonna get slapped by bar counsel and a grievance is filed against them because they did something wrong. We have a fairly elaborate set of rules that lawyers are supposed to abide by and must abide by, but they're not geared for 2022. As Zach was saying, they're not really um, able to assist the market connecting between those who could benefit from legal services and those who are willing and able to provide them. So easing these regulations while protecting you know, the integrity of the services lawyers are providing is a huge opportunity to not only benefit the consumers, but benefit lawyers, many of whom are struggling to make ends meet. I think that, that if consumers are empowered, they come to lawyers and lawyers are able to provide services at the higher end of their, of their capabilities, right? We like to say practice at the high end of your license. Don't be shuffling papers and filling forms out. Technology can do it now. Um, I just want to draw um, your attention. You probably know this. I bet Zach does for sure. That, but the 2020 Clio Trends report reported that 79% of consumers now are seeking remote options for the delivery of legal services. This is a sea change from 2018 when only 23% of consumers would consider remote options. This tells you that this pandemic has opened up even further an opportunity for lawyers who are using technology to engage um, in, engage with their clients, you know, from marketing through the, throughout the engagement. So I think there's a real willingness to to change the paradigm on the part of both the lawyers and would be consumers that has been jump started due to the pandemic. I appreciate bringing up the Clio uh, Legal Trends Report. There was a part of that study a few years back was that uh, lawyers only build 1.6 hours due to the many administrative duties that they had. And, and I think one take on that is that lawyers are not trained how to run a business and they have all these structural impediments with trying to run a business uh, and there's no time to actually make the money by putting in billable hours. I'm wondering if you can compare that kind of system with other sectors like tech startups or companies in the service industry. The billable hour model is not shared by a lot of other industries. It is very much a, sort of an indicator of the bespoke nature of uh, traditionally the, the bespoke one-on-one -on -one nature of legal services. That is the lawyer serving a, a specific individual and really be, becoming a counsel and an advocate one at a time, right? That model is it really doesn't fit the uh, reality of today's market of, of what consumers need and what the, the, the tools and the technology that enables 
legal services to be scalable in, in an important way. And that scalability is, is critical when we talk about the amount of legal problems that are out there that aren't being addressed. And so one thing I think that also contributes to you know, consumers not being aware or not willing to look for legal help, I think is the, is the billable hour model as opposed to a finite cost for a discrete service. You can package your service as a product and technology can help you to do it. Um, that leads to efficiency for you, the lawyer, but it leads to something really important for the consumer. And that is an expectation and an understanding of what the costs will be up front. A person is much more willing to engage with a service when they have that. Uh, and when we talk about the, the legal services in, in what you know Professor Bill Henderson calls people law, that is individual people with individual problems needing help, that's a really important factor to reaching that huge middle part of the cream sandwich, as, as Natalie Nolan calls it. So I think, I think these tools, paying attention to consumer expectation can get lawyers very, very far. But what we, what we know is that um, current regulations really do to pre- prevent that. I mean, I, one example, the best example I can think of is Avo Legal Services did exactly this. So if you are a consumer, you could go online and you could find a discrete legal service, meaning I need help with this one legal form or I need help in this particular stage of, of, of a legal process. They would list lawyers who could provide you that help and there would be a finite cost right? Through Avo. Avo doing all the work to connect the consumer who does a search for help to their page and then to connect the consumer to the lawyer who then provides the service for for a set fee. Uh, There wasn't a state that looked at that that didn't believe it violated uh, the rules of professional conduct in at least one or two ways, including fee sharing. I think that the realities have changed since Avo was shut down. And there are a lot of examples, Patrick Palace's shop for one, for example, where there are products put on the website and available to the consumer. And this is what Richard Susskind talked about, the productization where you can make money while you sleep, right? And let's not kid ourselves. Every matter, especially if you're a solo and small firm practitioner, does not need to pull out a a legal pad and a quill and start afresh on a legal matter. A lot of what we do, if we're honest, is over and over the same thing. Let's capitalize on that. Let's package it and let's move on to the next thing that's going to be challenging to us intellectually, going to add value to the consumer. That's a great point, Jane. I I absolutely agree that that times have changed since the Avo Legal Services um, was shut down. And and I actually think that's one reason for optimism is that we've seen practitioners and really forge ahead and create these new opportunities for client engagement and really to provide that that value. I think think that's right. Um, But I also believe, and I think you probably agree with me, that that these re-regulation proposals that are out there would 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 even further that that process along and would enable even more lawyers to more easily adapt to that kind of a model. Well, we're we're at that place. Where we're out of time. Uh, Zach Demiel and uh, Jane Reardon, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Um, we look forward to having you back. We're going to continue this conversation next week when we wrap up our conversation with Jane Reardon and Zach Demiola and delve into the growing crisis of public confidence in the legal system and how they believe adjusting the regulatory rules may solve those problems. We hope you join us. As always, you can follow the Center for Innovation at ABA Innovation on Twitter. And don't forget to share this episode out on social media using the hashtag ABACIN. 
The Innovation Network is a production from the American Bar Association, the Center for Innovation. Opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the ABA. Editing for the Innovation Network is performed by Ben Woodson and Joey Gartner. Coming up next week on the Innovation Network. Can we talk about public confidence? I'm wondering if you have a thought about how modification of our regulations can help rebuild public confidence and bring the consumer back to the legal profession to be that noble profession that we all want it to be. You know, this re-regulation and allowing lawyers to provide some tech services, get together with some expertise that they didn't learn in law school to better provide services is a good thing. And it will raise public confidence because then your member of the public will realize, oh, it didn't cost me an arm and a leg. They were clear, they helped me, they actually gave me a voice in this system. I realized the value here instead of thinking lawyers were for somebody else, not me. See you next week.